Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamotko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Absolute Return Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Kesslering. And on today's podcast, we welcome the co-founder and CEO of Embark Trucks, Alex Rodriguez. Embark is a leading developer of autonomous software technology for the trucking industry. On the show, Alex discusses what it was like to drop out of university to become a Thiel Fellow, Embark self-driving technology and their value proposition to customers, insights into the $4.55 billion merger with Northern Genesis Acquisition 2, how they get investors comfortable with a pre-revenue stage company, and more. Upon a disclosure, the Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF does hold a position in the shares and warrants of Northern Genesis Acquisition 2. So with no further ado, here's our discussion with Alex Rodriguez, co-founder and CEO of Embark Trucks. Excited to have Alex Rodriguez from Embark Trucks on the podcast today. A bit of a whiz kid and fellow Canadian. So welcome to the show, Alex. I initially wanted to touch on your background because it's super interesting. I believe this is the first Thiel fellow we have on the show. So we do want to hear what that was about and what sort of opportunities that Thiel Fellowship provided. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. Uh... Thanks for having me, guys. Nice to nice to get a chance to chat. Um, yeah, I think I probably have a bit of a, a non traditional background, so to speak. Uh, so I did robotics in Calgary for five years. Five years. Did five years in competition robotics in Calgary. Uh, we actually started. I don't know if you guys have uh, ever been to the uh, first robotics competition in Western Canada, but we started pretty much all the teams in Western Canada, uh, which was pretty cool. That was a lot of fun. And then went to the University of Waterloo for two years, kept building robots, built the first self-driving vehicle to operate on public roads in Canada. And then uh, winter of 2016, dropped out of school, got into Y Combinator, uh, and really started chasing this self-driving concept, really originating from that early self-driving work we were doing at Waterloo. And then, yeah, did the Teal Fellowship, amazing program. It, uh, it, it, it's probably the place of, of all my friends I've met in the Valley that has the highest ratio of people who started interesting companies to companies that are now worth uh, a billion plus. So, so super cool group and uh, definitely a, a really unique opportunity. And in terms of the path of, because as I understand the Thiel Fellowship, it, it basically encourages or gives people money, encourages uh, young entrepreneurial minded folks to basically not go to school and pursue their dreams, their ideas with uh, the backing of that fellowship. Would you recommend others pursue this path? And, and if so, like, what sort of fit would it be? Like, clearly, it's someone more independent with a great idea, creative and entrepreneurial. Yeah, I would say I'm not a uh, universal advocate of dropping out of school. Uh, <laughs> as it's... As- <laughs> As a general matter, I think school is great. Uh, it's it's a good it's a good way to to learn and, and and get into something. What I would say is I am a huge advocate for 
um, if you find something that, that you're really excited about, like leaning into that, even when how that's going to be useful isn't necessarily clear, right? You think about, I spent five years doing competition robotics, founding teams, winning world championships. At that point, it was not at all clear that robotics was really even an industry, right? Today, you know, it's obvious that going into machine learning is a, a, a high paying job that, you know, takes people away from finance. But back in the day, it wasn't. The only people who did robotics were people who loved it. And it was just because we loved it. Um, and I actually, there's a few good stories from this. Like I, I switched high schools in sort of after first year uh, because the high school I was at had the only team in, the, in Western Canada, but it was kind of just an okay team. I wasn't about that. So I, I switched high schools. I went to a new high school. I convinced them to let me start a team, did all of those sort of groundwork to make that happen. And I picked this school specifically because it was self-directed. So I went to Bishop Carroll. Okay. Uh, and only, only the Calgarian listeners will know where that is. But, you know, um, <laughs> so I went to Bishop Carroll. And, you know, the, the idea was competition robotics has a 60-day season or so. And because it's self-directed, I could just not do schoolwork during that period. So instead of doing, you're supposed to do about 30 units a month, 60 units across the two months. And uh, one season, I did two units. Um, and so that was definitely a little... It was, it was an interesting choice, I think, at the time, because it meant that, you know, I'm, I'm, I was a very academically minded kid, but uh, I didn't do IB courses. I didn't sort of take the path that a lot of my peers took to do a lot of advanced academics. I really poured myself into robotics. And I think it was, it was that foundational experience of building a team from the ground up, of figuring out how to manage sort of the different competing challenges of building production robots that that sort of educated me for all of this. And um, we thought really, really hard about dropping out of school. We probably were, I mean, we were definitely against it for, for a while. Um, and the only reason we did it at the end of the day, we'd built this self-driving golf cart that was the first self-driving vehicle in Canada. And it was, it was clear to me that if we waited to finish, that we were in a unique spot, there's an amazing opportunity. This is a world-changing technology that we had sort of stumbled our way into the front of because of passion through earlier parts of, of my life. And the, this self-driving golf cart was a unique technology that could be a starting point for something at the time in 2015. But if we waited to graduate three more years, it really wouldn't be that special. It would be too late. We'd have missed the window. And so that was why we dropped out. I would say like, in general, I'm an advocate of, I'm an advocate of graduating school. Uh, but in the unique opportunity where we built something really incredible, we knew it was incredible, um, we knew that we would have a unique opportunity. Um, and initially, the, the pitch was basically, you know, once you graduate, the dream would be to someday get to do something in robotics, to get to build something of our own that was really cool. Here, I can do it right now. Let's go do it. We'll learn a lot. Worst case, we'll learn a lot. We'll end up back at school. Obviously, that didn't happen. But, but I think we really, uh, that'd be maybe the second thought, is that if you're, if you're going to start a company, you have to be pretty comfortable with the value you're getting out of it, that you love doing the thing. And it's okay if it doesn't work out. And people are like, I'm, I'm here, I'm going to make a ton of money. Then, you know, in the end of the first year, when something challenging happens, you don't have the grit to, to keep going. Oh, yeah, that's a great message. Clearly, you're passionate about technology and robotics as you've been in it for basically, you know, your entire life. And I've been in it longer than I haven't. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. And, and probably for many, many years, grinded it out, just doing it for fun without any really uh, chance of economic benefit, I imagine. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. Which is uh, cool to see. And with respect to the dropping out of school, obviously you saw that once in a lifetime opportunity and just had to take that chance because as you indicated, if you waited until graduation, then perhaps it would be way too late and sort of watched it go by and, and have that regret. So it's great to get that background. Now I wanted to get into some of the tech that you have developed at Embark. Could you discuss you know, the main uh, drivers of this technology and ultimately what the product is. Yeah. Maybe I'll start with what the product is. That's probably a uh, <laughs> good background. So uh, sort of the, the, the one-minute elevator pitch for the listeners, Embark is a company developing software to power self-driving trucks. So we build driverless software. What makes One of the things that makes us unique is our focus. So instead of trying to do a little bit of everything uh, and trying to build a general purpose product, one of the key lessons I took away from all those years of competitive robotics is that the people who win are the people who build something that's just simple enough to do the job. And so we focus on a niche application where we're really doing highway driving for trucks. And then we pass trailers back to local drivers who do the, the sort of pick up and drop off in a given city. And this is really valuable in part because it fits with, if you know anything about trucking, you know there's a huge driver shortage. And that driver shortage is really driven by the fact that it's hard to hire drivers to work over the road, to work away from their families for weeks at a time. And is there a fear that they're going to get replaced by robots? I mean, Embark's technology, like, is that somewhat limiting people's career or ideas of career prospects in the trucking industry? I actually think that when we look 5, 10, 15 years out, what Embark technology will do is is create the next generation of jobs in trucking and actually make it a more attractive industry. Because today, people don't want to be in trucking because they know they're going to have to live this crazy lifestyle that leads to divorces, that you know it's a very challenging lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And what we're saying is trucking doesn't have to be that way. Trucking can be an industry that has a lot of local jobs where you can work in a city on a regular shift and then you can go home to your family that night. Um, and so the creation of these new local jobs we actually see it as being a, a, a thing that attracts that next generation to trucking. And I don't think that you're going to see major job losses. There was actually a US DOT study that came out earlier this year, and they basically estimated that there, there was never going to be significant job losses, even under uh, a really accelerated rollout. And this will be interesting, that the average worker in the United States, not just the average trucker, but the average worker across the whole economy would have an average wage increase of uh, $200 plus a year as a result of the rollout of driverless trucks because of the improved competitiveness in manufacturing, in commodities, in retail um, that this drives. So with respect to the effect on drivers, it's not at all a replacement, but more so augmentation such that you're taking basically the most boring part, the most tedious part, uh, automating it such that they can do the more high value city driving. Right. It's really a partnership, right? And it's, it's um, you know, very analogous to the famous case study with, with ATMs, right? People put ATMs in place and they thought it would, it would decrease banker jobs. But the reality is there are more tellers today than there were before the advent of ATMs because ATMs took out sort of a piece of the, the ecosystem, but then allowed tellers to do more high value work and ultimately led to more jobs. That makes sense. And you mentioned specifically you guys focus on that one area of trucking uh, with respect to the self-driving software. 
Is there any plans to expand beyond that? I know you started out in a self-driving golf cart, which I'm sure doesn't have nearly the total addressable market of the uh, trucking industry, but you know, there's a ton going on in uh, self-driving cars and buses and things of that nature. Yeah, what I, what I would say is that uh, we've bitten off enough to chew for, for a good while. You know, I, I, I love robotics. I came to this industry because I thought it was the first real chance for robotics to make an impact on the lives of everyday people. And I think that's just incredibly cool. I'm, you know, a huge, huge proponent and supporter of the folks that are trying to use robotics to allow disabled people to get around cities or use robotics to fold your laundry and, re- and remove housework. Those, those all sound great, but Embark has a mission. Our mission is self-driving trucks. We believe that mission is best served, at least for the near term, by us putting our resources into delivering just that. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate. Do you want to diversify your investment portfolio while benefiting the planet? The Accelerate Carbon Negative Bitcoin ETF, symbol ABTC on the Toronto Stock Exchange, provides investors with exposure to Bitcoin while protecting the environment. Accelerate implements a global tree planting campaign to sequester carbon emissions and help fight climate change. Up to 10% of ABTC's 69 basis point management fee will be allocated to Accelerate's annual tree planting campaign. For each $1,000 invested in ABTC, an estimated one net ton of carbon dioxide is expected to be sequestered each year. Buy Bitcoin, save the planet. Find out more at investabtc.com. And as I understand, for your customers, it will be selling the software as opposed to being a, a, a manufacturer of, of trucks. And so can you talk a little bit about your value proposition to these customers? And, and as well, if you can touch on the decision that you made to focus on partnering with the carriers as opposed to competing with them. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So Embark partners with big fleets who are the ones who ultimately buy the truck and they also sort of own the whole operation, right? If you think about end-to-end, there's, there's a pickup, there's a drop-off, there's uh, these handoffs in the middle, there's a relationship with the customer. There's a lot going on um, besides just the self-driving software. And they're handling all of that operation. And what Embark is doing is we're licensing them driver software on a per mile basis. And we think that that makes a huge amount of sense for a couple of reasons. One is um, I think you want people who are to be doing what they're the best at. We are really great at building world-class self-driving software, but it requires a completely different type of expertise to be really good at building these sort of operations-heavy institutions. We have a, a small research and development fleet inside Embark. And let me tell you, that's, that's its own challenging business to create. Um, and one that we think, you know, when we, when we raise $600 million in the, in the SPAC transaction, um, we're, we're looking to put all of those dollars into creating an asset that is self-driving software, right? And if we took half those dollars and we put them into buying trailers, we would be doing a massive disservice to our investors, right? And so, so I think it, it makes a lot of sense from that perspective. And then it makes a lot of sense from a scalability perspective. Um, Embark has partnerships with some of the, the biggest fleets in the country. Uh, people like Knight Swift, people like Warner Enterprises, uh, like 
AB InBev, um, and these big fleets, uh, they have the scale and the ability to rapidly deploy a huge number of trucks, where if we were trying to build our own fleet from scratch, that's inevitably going to be the bottleneck. And so um, I think it's about you know knowing what you're good at, and it's about finding the partners that are able to bring this to market at scale. That makes a lot of sense. And you did mention that spec transaction, which I do want to touch on. But prior to getting into that, I won't, wouldn't mind getting more of a lay of the land in terms of the competition, opportunities, challenges. So can you talk a bit about the competitive environment? I understand this is a big total addressable market and there's a number of companies going after it. And how is Embark's technology uh, differentiated within that competitive environment? Yeah. So there, there are five self-driving truck companies with, with north of $100 million of funding. Two of them are sort of unified general purpose products. So one of those is Waymo, the other is Aurora. Um, those two are, are sort of both built off of the, the original Google self-driving car platform. And then the other two are multinational players. So you have uh, Plus and Too Simple, both of which have some amount of U.S. presence, both which also have some significant Chinese presence. And so when you look, and then Embark, I think sort of sits uniquely as uh, we're, the, we're the one that's been tackling this problem the longest uh, out of those five. Uh, we've been road testing trucks on public roads longer than anybody. Um, but we're also the one that has by far the most focused approach. Uh, we're focusing just on the U.S. Sunbelt, just on trucks. And that's allowed us to build very differentiated software, um, things like Vision Map Fusion. That, that really tackle the key problems of highway driving for trucks uh, in a way that, that nobody else really is. Testing the longest. I thought it was interesting that you mentioned focus on the U.S. Sunbelt because one thing I did want to address are some of the biggest technical challenges with respect to self-driving platforms. And growing up in Calgary, uh, going to school in eastern Canada, I'm sure you are no stranger to waking up to one foot of snow so obviously that is not a challenge that you necessarily have to deal with, although Texas recently did have this big ice storm. But from a technical perspective, what challenges emerge? Because I, as I understand self-driving technology, it's not perhaps 100% the way there yet. Yeah. You'll notice that Embark isn't based in Waterloo. Um, part of that is because uh, I think the willingness to put the dollars behind sort of research projects that, that have huge payout but require longer timelines isn't necessarily quite there yet in the, the Canadian ecosystem. But a big part of it is because we wanted to be able to test year-round without snow. Um, <laughs> I do think that focusing on the U.S. Sunbelt makes a huge amount of sense. It has allowed us to move very quickly towards commercialization. And now um, with this transaction, basically having the money in the bank to be be looking at commercialization in 2024. However, I will say that I don't think snow is insurmountable, particularly if you've architected the, the system correctly. Um, it's, it's more a question of what do you do when and how do you sequence it, right? And that's one of the things I learned from my, my competitive robotics days is you have to be smart about which pieces you, you try and take on to create a cohesive, cohesive uh, in that case, solution, in this case, product. And sort of the, the first cohesive product you can make is one that can drive consistently in good weather uh, in the U.S. Sunbelt, where there's a good regulatory framework already. So we think about sort of where can you hit first, that's where you can hit first. 
I mentioned Vision Map Fusion. Uh, this is a, a technology that we've built that's um, we're in the process of patenting that allows our truck to update the map in real time. So instead of relying on sort of a historical view of the road, which is what our competitors do, it actually uh, is fusing in two additional sensor streams. You're getting data from the camera. You're getting data from the LiDAR. You're fully extracting the road geometries from that. And then you're fusing it all together. And this sort of dynamic adaptation to the road also works for snow, right? So it, we mainly use it for construction today to be able to deal with repainted lane lines that might have shifted around a little bit. Right. But also when you're looking at a, a snowy road, you need to be able to recognize, okay, where are the, where are the cars driving? Where have, the, where have things shifted around? Obviously, the road surface looks completely different. But that dynamic adaptation, it's not impossible. It's something we're already doing in certain contexts. It's just a question of getting a commercial product on the road as quickly as possible. It makes sense to, to sequence the order of technical projects. And now, a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest-growing alternative investment solution providers. With a suite of institutional-caliber alternative ETFs, for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. So then in terms of looking at your cap table, I mean, it's re- it, it's a who's who's list of of prominent BCs such as Sequoia. But your Series C was financing was led by Tiger Global. And so they, they operate, operate quite a bit differently than traditional BCs um, in terms of the pace that they move um, preemptively uh, offering term sheets to companies. Can, can you talk a little bit about how that process went with Tiger Global? Yeah. So obviously, we're, we're re- really happy to work with uh, Sequoia and with Tiger and also DCVC, who led our A. The, the Tiger process in particular, so you guys are probably thinking of, there's obviously um, famously a lot of rounds being led by Tiger maybe in the last 12, 18 months. Tiger invested in Bark before it was cool. Uh, <laughs> back, when, back when they were still a the number one growth investor in terms of unicorns invested in the United States, but but before they'd really gotten gotten their feet under them for sort of the current sprint where Tiger's you know everywhere now. I really enjoyed working with them; they're really great. We work with uh, with Evan over there, and I would say they're they're obviously very quick. They obviously have high conviction, and you know in this case uh, that that obviously uh, obviously worked out pretty well for them, and we. Uh, expect that we will continue over uh, the next many years to actually take, I think we're only part of the way to the vision that, that them and Sequoia saw in Embark uh, when, when they made those investments. So there's, there's, a, there's a lot left in the, the road to executing that, that investment vision. And I believe they did follow up by participating in the pipe that is happening concurrently with the merger, uh, SPAC merger with Northern Genesis Acquisition 2. You guys got a $4.55 billion enterprise value. Uh, so that is super exciting. Going public, how did this deal come about? Yeah, so uh, we have a, an amazing group of folks in the pipe, including Sequoia, including Tiger, including Knight Swift, the number one 
truckload carrier in the United States, anchor investor in the pipe, and uh, and CPPIB. So uh, some, some Canadians in there too. The the SPAC deal, I think, um, is really a unique opportunity for Embark to to take the next step and and fund the company fully through the commercialization plan that we've we've set out with Buffer on top of that. And so that was really what got us excited about it. Um, Embark actually is is uh, I mean, you can read in that scores. Embark actually has a lot of money in the bank. We didn't really need to be fundraising at the beginning of the year, but we thought there was a a, a unique opportunity seeing the public markets were finally, I think for the first time in a long time, looking to find really good growth stories. We thought that this aligned really, really well with what Embark was doing. And so we spoke to a handful of, of top tier folks. Um, we really enjoyed working with Ian and Chris from Northern Genesis. Uh, they've obviously, this is their second SPAC. Their first SPAC has been doing really well. Um, they're also Canadian, so uh, we had that, that in common. Um, me and Ian actually both went to Waterloo, so at some point we'll have to, we'll have to go back and, and uh, do, some, do something there. It'll be fun. Um, but yeah, I think it, it was a really unique opportunity. Um, it wasn't so much about the SPAC product as it was about the people we got to work with right. and about the opportunity to fully fund the business. I think it's interesting to note that uh, Canada Pension Plan now an investor with this pipe. So basically every Canadian is now a shareholder of Embark. So that's good to know. Uh, the other thing that goes with this SPAC uh, business combination is you'll soon be a public company. How does that feel? Like, what do you hope to accomplish? How are things going to change? Yeah, there's obviously a lot of, you know, heightened expectation becoming a public company, people are, people are going to expect more of you. We have to be reporting like on a quarterly basis. Um, I think my thought, and I thought a great deal about this before we, we pulled the trigger on this process, is to make sure that Embark is ready and that we have a set of milestones that we feel good about consistently executing against, right? And so a big part of my job is going to be to help guide people to see the, the roadmap from here to 2024. and the technical milestones we plan to complete along the way. Um, it's going to be a bit different because Embark, we make money, we move freight with a lot of our fleet partners, but we don't book it to revenue because it's not the ultimate business model of, of licensing software. We're, we're sort of running trucks in our development fleet with our partners. And so when people are looking at Embark, they need to really be looking at the growth of the team, the execution of technical milestones, the establishment of, of the key factors to deploy this tech. And then, of course, the, the ultimate value proposition, which is just incredibly compelling, uh, knowing it's a $700 billion industry uh, that has clear and present need for, for access to, to this technology. That's one thing that I wanted to dig into is you don't expect to have uh, commercial operations until 2024 in terms of generating a significant amount of revenue. So being a public pre-revenue company, how do you get investors comfortable with that opportunity? It's obviously different than a more mature, uh, slower growing public company where they have you know, quarterly revenue, quarterly profit, etc. You spoke of milestones and key technical accomplishments as you go on your journey to commercializations. How should investors think about that? Yeah, we have a front. If you actually look at the pipe deck, we have a, a 16... 16 milestone roadmap that we put together. Uh, 11 of those are technical capabilities that, that we've already completed. And then five remain between here uh, and 
and sort of that beginning of, of operations. And so that's one of the things that we're going to be guiding people along is the technical roadmap as we execute the capabilities. There's obviously a lot of other technical work that we're doing that, that, that people will see as we go along. Um, but I think that's a key part of what, what will be really important is showing the progress quarter over quarter. Uh, there's certainly the larger investors have been able to come and sit in the truck uh, and will, you know, we, we spend time with high quality folks, including the Northern Genesis team. That was part of how they were able to get comfortable. And so I think that's also a piece of it is big investors and big partners are actually able to come see the truck, feel it in person. And we're, we're sort of doing our best to make sure that we can bring the, the whole universe along with us as we're, as we're making that progress as well. And certainly for investors, it makes sense to have a long-term outlook when taking a look at Embark from an investment perspective because you know, revenue is still a few years away, so you'll want to uh, be following the story. And it'll take just, obviously, investors need to be patient with respect to the developments there. And if they are interested, Northern Genesis Acquisition 2 is trading on the market, symbol NGAB. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much, Alex, for coming on the show today. Exciting stuff. I mean, I can't wait to see it in action in a few years. I'll be definitely watching out for that and wishing you guys the best of luck. You're accomplishing something really, really cool and super innovative. So great job so far. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained this podcast. Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.